Welcome to another episode of the Find Your Best Future podcast. Jeremy, you're looking rather, I don't know, professional in that white shirt today. You need a tie on, I think, for this episode, don't you? I probably do, actually, as we're going to be talking about banking and finance. And bankers usually dress up in suits and ties. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, I think it's changed since the pandemic, but they're a little bit more relaxed. But nevertheless, you're looking quite bankerly today, the sort of senior executive of a bank. I think it's very appropriate. Thank you for the dress code. I'm obviously a bit too casual today. What exactly are we going to be talking about? Well, we're going to be looking at the different types of banking and the different careers available to students who want to move into that field. Uh, we're going to talk, of course, about how you can prepare yourself to apply for a sort of finance or banking degree at university. Fantastic. Now, I know there's all sorts of different types of banks and banking. Banking isn't really one thing, is it? Could you just, before we start, give us a quick picture of, of the kind of organizations we're actually talking about? You're quite right, Neil. There are many different types of banks. For most ordinary people, they have a bank account at probably some well-known local bank in their country, and their thoughts about banking probably don't go much beyond that. However, it is interesting to note the different types of banks and the functions that they perform. For example, you have credit unions, and these are non-profit institutions that are operated owned by individuals who pool their money together to run a credit union. It offers the same services as a normal bank, but they offer their services at a lower interest rate. Okay. And then we have investment banks, and investment oh, banks yes. serves a lot of large corporations and firms, and they can sell shares to investors and even to governments. Indeed. And they're the ones that everyone sort of heard of as the big yes. money ones, aren't they? Yes. And are dealing in huge amounts, sums of money, billions often, yeah? Yes, indeed. And then we have commercial banks. These are financial organizations that receive deposits, provide security to the account, give loans. Most normal people will have their bank account at one of these commercial banks. Okay. And then what's the difference between a commercial bank and a retail bank then? Well, the retail bank is a bank that only lends to help small businesses and companies rather okay, than private individuals. What else have we got? Okay. Well, we've got savings and loan associations. The savings and loan associations are an institution or institutions that mainly help individuals with their mortgages or properties, this type of area of work. Right, I understand. And then we've got community development banks. The purpose of these is to provide help to individuals that live in low socioeconomic places. And they're often linked to government money, aren't they, as they well? Are, or yes. international money uh, yeah. that's being pumped in to support the development in different locations. Yeah, right. uh, anything else that's there? My goodness, is a well, lot of this. Yes, we have online and neobanks. Online and neobanks. Neobank. Neobank. What is neobank. a neobank? It's a pr pretending. <laughs> yeah. And these are online banks without physical branches. Right. You don't actually go into a building. The bank is popular because anything can be done online and it's convenient, of course. And they've grown enormously, haven't they? In the they last have, ten yes. years, um, Rel relatively uh, to new. a point where they're very popular. Okay, great. And so working or studying finance and banking means perhaps that you go and work in that realm, although I'm sure... If you've studied banking and finance, you can head off into corporations, companies as well. But how are you going to apply for a university course in this area? That's a very good question. And before you apply for a banking or finance degree, you need to do a lot of research to inform yourself about uh, the following things. 
and the different types of banking, which we've just run through for you. Uh, what are the career opportunities? As you've indicated, not everyone who studies banking and finance necessarily works in a bank. There are other organizations that uh, employ people with those skills. Um, and then you ask yourself the question, can I combine a banking or finance degree with another subject like management, for example? And then a very basic question, which country do I want to study in? Because remember, you have to go and live there. I think probably most importantly is that you check out the flexibility of your course, particularly with reference to the opportunity to specialize in different fields of banking during your bachelor's degree. You may, for example, in the first year be taking certain units or modules. We're going to have a look at this in more detail later on in this episode. And then you will have the opportunity to select from a list of electives. Uh, perhaps you're interested in perhaps financing of maritime trade, for example. Does your university offer you that opportunity? These are sort of questions that you need to think about. Does your bachelor's degree prepare you for your master's degree? If you have a, that's really a certain, important, isn't it? Very important. If you have a, a certain area you want to specialize in, in your master's, you want to make sure that's all covered in the bachelor. Look carefully at the units that you study in year one and year two. And will you be able to develop your own project? This is something that students in high school often overlook. It's very, very important that you can work on some sort of project because you're going to be able to show this to any future employer who's thinking of employing right. you in perhaps your first real job when you finish university. And it's especially important for students who are planning to finish before the master's level. So yes. to go into work straight after your bachelor's degree. Very important indeed. Indeed. And then we've talked about the importance of a placement year or internship year in other mm -hmm. episodes, but I think certainly here in banking, it's very important. If you can go and work in the bank for a year, you're going to learn an enormous amount, which will stand you in very good stead. Indeed. Um, and then something as mundane as, are your high school grades good enough to get into the university that you want to go to? Well, indeed, and that's not just mundane, is it? It's, ah. it's also whether you're actually interested in the subjects that you require in order to, to study in finance and banking, because although it sounds sort of general, most people who study in that world are very good at mathematics, statistics, all of those things, yeah? Yes, I think that if you're the sort of student that struggles with mathematics and statistics, then possibly this is the wrong profession for you to uh, select. Um, but it sometimes happens Nick, that a student uh, comes upon the idea of going into banking and finance while they're in grade 11, grade 12, and maybe they didn't select the right mix of subjects oh. for their IB or for their final two years of school, whichever exam system you're working in. So that leaves them with the question, what to do? Um, happily, there is a solution to this. Many, many universities offer foundation programs. And the foundation, yes, we've been talking about this we have, yes. recently, haven't we? Yeah. Um, the foundation year is an extra year on the front of your bachelor's degree. And it's an opportunity for you to make up for any gaps in your academic profile. Right. Assuming that you successfully complete your foundation year, then you move smoothly on into year one of the bachelor program. Indeed. And of course, they have the benefit of allowing people to access a university that maybe normally they wouldn't be able to be accepted to. Yeah? Yes. And that is an added bonus, I would say. Okay. So how can you prepare yourself to apply for studying finance and banking at university? As with applying to most degrees, I would give a sort of general piece of advice that right. it's, import it's important to build your CV and resume for the future. And there are a few things that, that you can certainly do. 
you may want to go and do a summer program. You can go online or on the campus. And many, many top universities offer summer programs for high school students. So you can have a shop around and see if you find something which is that, that particular area. And you certainly sure. will find something. And then, then there are internships. You could go and shadow a banker for a couple of weeks during your summer vacation. And also the IB extended essay. If you're an IB student, you're going to have to do an extended essay. And this is a great opportunity for you to showcase your passion for banking and finance. So you can, and that's a top tip, isn't it? It Um, really is. Yes. Because it has a double benefit. It has the benefit of deepening your understanding because you're looking at an area in depth. And so that would prepare you for the course and any interviews that you need, but also you can evidence your interest over time, can't you? Yes. Cause it, it will convince the university that you really have a passion and commitment to that particular area of study. And we mentioned grades before, what grades do you need? Well, most banking finance degrees expect you to have studied high level mathematics, although there are some that will take you with standard level. If you're an IB student, right. that is, it's worth pointing out. You need to be good at math, which we just mentioned yes. the grades you need. Well, of course it depends very much on the university and to some extent, the country in which the university is located. Well, tell um, us a little bit more about that. In some countries, they, they don't specify in, in any sort of very concrete term, the sort of minimum number of points you need to get in. For example, if you go to the Netherlands, uh, most universities will take you if you're an IB student, if you just pass the IB diploma, there are a few exceptions. Whereas if you want to go to the UK and you want to go to a top university, you will have to achieve a certain, usually high points total in your IB diploma. In fact, we're going to be having a look at one of Britain's top universities in just a moment. This is a university that usually requires 38 points for most of its courses. So that gives you an indication that you want to go and study banking and finance at the top university. You need to be a top student and have top grades. Indeed. Okay. So let's uh, zoom in on that and let's take a good look. How should you go about applying for a banking finance degree then? Well, the first thing is you need to decide which country you want to study in. Indeed. You've just mentioned (laughs) that. It's critically important, isn't it? It is really, because otherwise you're wasting your time looking at all sorts of universities around the world. And unless you're committed to going to that country, then you could uh, save yourself of the bother. Again, we just mentioned grades, look at your grades, look at the university entry requirements, make sure you have enough points to, to meet their minimum entry requirements and look carefully at the course content year by year. Don't just glance at the course title. You really need to dig in and see oh, what, so what you study. Very important. And many students and sadly overlook Exactly. This. So many students don't actually do that. And it really, the devil in the, is in the detail in this regard, isn't it? Um, because some courses are, as you mentioned, are heavily statistics-based. Others are more strategic, for example, and attract a, a completely different way of uh, thinking about things. Yes. And, and also look at the location of the university. Some people love the idea of being in the middle of a big city like New York. Others would rather go to a smaller campus university. Obviously this is a personal choice, but it's something you need to think about because it will greatly impact your whole university experience. And I would also, I would also say it'll probably impact your chances of being academically successful because if you feel happy and comfortable in the place in which you are living, you're far more likely to be successful academically. Completely. It's a really important point. I mean, it's well made because 
so many people just hunt the rankings, yeah? Yeah. Uh, and then they end up in places that probably aren't ideally matched to the kind of person they are. And there's a reason why we've called the podcast Find Your Best Future, because everyone's best future is different. That's a very good point, Neil, yes. People need to do a bit of self-reflecting and setting their own priorities, each person. Another factor to, that people quite often overlook, and as you mentioned, they just glance at the rankings, but I would really urge you to go and have a look at the percentage of graduating students who are employed within six months of graduation. Oh, yes, that's incredibly important. It is, that? yes. And universities also publish what career areas their graduating students have gone to. So if you graduate in finance, for example, you can look on the finance page of the university website. And in most cases, there'll be, a, you know, our students have gone on to work in, and then a big list of different careers. And that's quite interesting because it... And also companies as well, yeah? Yes, very much. It gives you an indication of where you might end up working in the future. Indeed. I think the other thing to do that I'd throw in, especially in the business finance area, the banking finance area, is to look at what yeah. partnerships the university has with banks and organizations. You mentioned it in some of a gap year, but many universities, especially the top level ones, are considered feeder institutions to these banks. And so if you're going to somewhere that has a deep connect with uh, an organization, uh, it can be really beneficial, can't it? I think that's a very good point you make, Neil, and very important because the bank and other organizations, they are actively looking to recruit bright young minds, the best right. of the best. And if your university had a partnership with a bank, then clearly their first port of call will be your university and hopefully you. And so you need to consider all of this when applying. Yeah, it is really, really important, especially in the business, finance, yeah. banking, areas, probably in engineering as well, I would imagine, but is these connections mean that you can really fast track your career if you're lucky enough to be selected. And obviously I think the last thing, you know, in order to make your application, you need to apply in the appropriate manner. Yes. Um, if you're applying to a country like the UK, of course, you'll be applying through the centralized system that operates there. It's called UCAS, U-C-A-S. The United States also has a more or less a centralized system called Common App. Most other countries, you will be either going to a hybrid system or else more likely you'll just make your application direct to each individual university. So you go on the university's website, you set up your account, you do the form filling, you upload the supporting documents, and then they process your application. And at the end of all of this, the big one, the elephant in the room is always cost. Um, and you always say to, uh, that, you know, how long is a piece of string? But it's important we do talk about costs. So off you go. Okay, cost. Um, perhaps I should start by saying that uh, obviously different countries, different price tickets and different universities, different price tickets as well. And so what I'm really saying is you need to shop around. Um, right. But some countries have a sort of... A, a dual system, like their own citizens will have one price, a lower price normally, and yeah. foreign citizens will pay more. Certainly, if you look around the EU countries in Europe, um, this is certainly the case. If you're an EU citizen, you'll pay less than if you are a non-EU citizen. If you right. want to go to the UK and you're a British or Irish citizen, then you'll pay less than 
everybody else, the international right. students. So, Same in Canada. I was actually looking Canada too, at very UBC yes. in Vancouver the other day and studying at the, the, the business school there uh, costs a tenth of the amount for a local Canadian as opposed to an uh, international student. Extraordinary uh, difference uh, there. Yes. Perhaps this will be a good opportunity for me to jump in with one of my top tips. If you oh, we love them, Jeremy. Oh, we love your top tips. This is a very, fo very focused top tip, Neil. If you are thinking about going to Canada and you are fortunate enough to be a French or a Belgian citizen, then I would strongly recommend that you have a look at universities in the province of Quebec, because there you will pay Canadian fees. And as you've just Amazing, heard, eh? about one-tenth of what everybody else has to pay. So, and, of course, there are English-speaking universities there. Oh, yes. You don't have to study in French. You, can, you have a choice. You can study in French or in English. It's up to you. Yeah. It's an amazing top tip. If yeah. you're lucky enough to have those passports, it's yes, it really a great one. Yeah, we've talked it all through, but, you know, what actually do you study if you study banking and finance? How would it be structured and what does it mean? Could you give us a sort of picture concretely of what it actually looks like? I hinted at uh, this earlier on in, in this episode that I would actually be sharing with you, the listeners, a little more detail on this. So I decided to go and have a look at Warwick University in the UK. Oh, my old university yeah. where I studied. Oh, yes, of course you went there, Neil. In fact, my, eld my eldest son went there as well. This is hey, a family man. business. We're all connected here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, then. So Warwick University, UK, finance, uh, accounting and finance is what the degree is called. And then you have core foundation skills and debates. You have introduction to Ooh, financial, that's interesting. financial foundation accounting. skills and debates. Yeah. So I suppose they want to give you a little bit sort of, sort of basic of yeah, university studying, I suppose you call it. Sure. Okay. So you've got introduction to financial accounting, foundations of management accounting, financial management, economics for business law. Introduction to statistics and then management organizations and society or business. So you just stop there. Yeah. You look at that list. That is a really tough list of courses. It's, it's heavy duty and stuff. I'll it's tell you. heavy duty stuff we're talking here. Uh, we're talking an awful lot of learning and an awful lot of significant statistics work based in those hidden behind those titles. And then moving along into year two, again, a core program, it's called Global Environment of Business. Um, and then you've got Entrepreneurial Mindset, another one of their core programs. And then we've got Financial Reporting 1, Financial Reporting 2, and Financial Market as well. Right. And year three? And the final year, in the first semester, you will study one core module. You will also study seven electives. Now, we talked about electives earlier on. And of these seven electives, four must be from accounting or finance discipline. And the remaining three can be taken from a wider range of subject areas, such as marketing, strategy, law, organizational behavior, entrepreneurship, these type of things. Right, indeed. And so you're really very, very focused. And the UK is known for having a very focused education system. If you were to study in Canada or in the USA, the electives would be much broader, wouldn't they? They would be, yeah. Obviously, different universities have different size departments and therefore 
obviously a larger department can in general terms offer more electives because they have more right. resources but often available. in states you can go and do music um, oh yes as an yes. elective or go and do yeah. an art course even if you're studying finance and banking whereas in the uk that generally is not the case is it it's quite interesting i was talking to a student online last week actually she's a high school student just finished in vienna and she is a computer math nerd, as she okay. termed herself. I didn't actually see her as a nerd myself. But that's the phrase she wanted to use. But she's also an artist, so she's going to go and do a six-month art program in Paris before starting her computer degree, which is fantastic because she's multi-skilled and has interests in many different areas, as I'm and sure do most of our And that's the power of North American education yeah. system, isn't it? That it is. extra year, that fourth year allows for people to learn rigorously, but at the same time have a little bit more breadth than the UK. Having said that, the UK is very strong on placement years, isn't it? Yes, it is. A lot of UK university courses offer a placement year. It's sometimes called internship. It's sometimes called sandwich course. All of these terms mean And is that the case in this Warwick course? Yes, Warwick actually offer you the chance to go and work to an internship year, either in the UK or sometimes in a foreign country. And then you will return for your final year, utilizing your newly developed skills, of course, for your final year modules. And of course, the reason why many people will be listening to this episode is not because they're so excited about statistics <laughs> and financial accounting. It's because they know like we do that uh, the earnings potential of graduates with this degree is high isn't it it is in fact they've done some studies recently in the uk and uk graduates normally get a six-figure salary within four to five years of graduation and there are not too many jobs where you can achieve that so quickly no indeed especially when you compare it with the the uk national average income which is you know, thirty thousand or something and so it, it is significantly hard than the national average and pretty much sets you up for a very bright future if you can manage to, to be successful in this area. Absolutely. Highly recommended. Right. And talking about career paths, you've mentioned the type of banks, but we did also talk about the different kind of routes that people can take. I guess there are sort of two main routes from this degree. If I'm guessing it'll be uh, the banking route and the accounting route. Is that right? Yes, although, of course, they can be sure. sort of intertwined, but yes, basically, you're Indeed. correct. And, of course, you can work as a chief financial officer for a company or even go into consulting, of course, as well. But let's focus in on the two big areas. Um, maybe, first of all, take a look at banking. Okay, lawyers, um, we're looking ahead a little bit here. Lawyers will look for graduates with skills, clearly. Right. They're going to be looking for skills like self-motivation. Integrity is very important and the ability to reflect on one's own work, as well as the right. wider consequences of financial decisions. A certain level of business acumen and interest is also required. Organizational skills, managing deadlines. Uh, sometimes you have to work fast and efficiently. Teamwork, communication, interpersonal skills, IT skills, and of course, very important, an analytical ability. Met very important. And also a method methodological cut. Oh, methodological approach and problem solving skills. And that is honestly incredibly important. I know from my personal experience, these students spend a lot of time doing case studies where they're yes. drilling into different scenarios and 
learning how to attack a problem from a, an approach that allows them to analyze any problem effectively. Yes. And last but not least, a high level of numeracy. Yeah, indeed. And you need good mental math, right? Um, something nowadays that is often forgotten. Um, but again, if you go for an interview in the banking sector, they will want you to do the calculations in your head as you are talking rather than uh, sitting there with a calculator. And students who are preparing for this career probably need to uh, take a leaf out of my grandmother's book and practice mental math skills. It's a very good point you make, Neil, because I know that uh, we all got a bit lazy ever since we had a cell phone, a mobile phone with a calculator sure. function. I've had students in my college counseling office and I've asked them what their grades are. <laughs> IB students take six subjects and the highest score is seven. And they haven't actually managed to do that in their heads. I like add up <laughs> six very small. Oh, yeah, they're numbers. getting sevens. <laughs> I sometimes jokingly say, What mathematics course are you doing? And they look a bit they're sheepish completely. when they realize that they could actually have done it in their head. <laughs> anyway. Back, back to banking for a moment. There are different areas of banking, aren't there? Mm. I think it's sort of split up into four main areas, isn't it? Yes. Um, you've got the sort of financial investment planning, is one area. And they've got sort of pure banking, if you like. Insurance and business financial management is also another important area. Of course, there are subdivisions of these areas, but those Indeed. are the main areas. And they are actually very different, aren't they? Yes. Even though they sound sort of similar. And so, again, perhaps looking at the kind of courses that you're doing in your degree uh, will have a, a large impact on which field you're most qualified to work in. And so it's important to understand the syllabus is really significant, even if you're at the beginning of your journey. Yes, very much so, because you are going to go in a particular direction eventually. So you need to sort of think a little bit about that. Okay, so we've covered banking pretty well. What about accountancy, accountants? Uh, the typical duties for an accountant would include things like preparing accounts and tax returns, administering payrolls, controlling income and expenditure. Auditing financial information is an important task for accountants. Compiling and presenting reports, budgets, business plans, financial statements. Right. And then they go on to analyze accounts and business plans, providing tax planning services with reference to le current legislation. Maybe you'll be involved in financial forecasting and risk analysis, and possibly dealing with insolvency cases, and maybe also you might be involved in negotiating the terms of business deal and moves with clients associated with your organization. And then, of course, you're going to have to meet and interview clients, managing colleagues. You, you're going to end up in some sort of leadership management position and looking at the workloads and deadlines, the people that you manage. So there's a lot going on here behind the... But accountancy is a very different area, realm yes. to banking, isn't it? Although they are associated... The actual way that you're working, the locations, the kind of uh, typical employers are very different, aren't they? Yes. If you decide to go into accountancy, uh, you'll probably be working in a private firm of accountants. Right. Um, like a lawyer's company, but in accountancy. Very likely, yes. A professional right. services firms, or perhaps some sort of industrial organization. Big companies, of course, employ accountants. Of course. Or, or maybe you go and work in a charity or a not-for-profit organization. Uh, or possibly work in a government body. Uh, governments are huge employers. So you could either work in the government sector or maybe in the public or private sector. Indeed. And of course, both of these areas, banking 
and probably more prominently in accounting, there are, there are often a requirement in countries to pass professional qualifications, aren't there? Can you give us an idea of what that is? It's a top-up, isn't it? An add-on? Yes, it is. Accountants will have typically studied, say, accountancy or finance or banking at university and then proceed to continue their training in an accountancy firm before acquiring their specialized professional qualifications. Of course, it does a bit vary quite a lot country to country. Um, in sure. the UK, there are several different qualifications and the one you take will depend on the professional direction you wish to work in. And these are normally taken part-time alongside your day jobs. Indeed. And the in America, they'd be like CPA or CFA qualifications. Yes. And in the UK, they have a different naming. And they're relatively transferable, though, aren't they? If you want yes. to move around the globe, it's not like this and where you pretty much have to re-qualify if you go to a different country. Normally, if you've got a qualification from, say, the state, you'll be able to work in a UK company and vice versa. Oh, I think we've got a really comprehensive tour of, of studying from banking and finance. Do you have any final comments, tips and tricks, those sort of things? Yes, make sure you have the skills set. We've talked about the importance of numeracy and mathematics. Um, you need to have the passion and the curiosity and the interest to actually want to go out into this it's sector. It's so important in this area, really, isn't it? It really is, yes. You know, if you're just doing it for the big bucks, then you probably won't get the big bucks, right? is the truth. Yes, it is. I think you, you, have, actually, to really you actually want, have to want to. this, yes. You like you have to like numbers. You have to be fascinated with the way that businesses and economies work, and you really have to enjoy that realm in order to be successful. I think a lot of people choose these courses thinking that it will buy them a, a great future, but in reality, if you don't enjoy it, it can be a really tough course and a tough professional career to choose. Yes, it is. I think it's also a very rewarding career area to move into, but you do actually have to want it. Yes, indeed. And talking of wanting something, getting towards lunchtime, at least here, what are you planning today? Culinary delights? Have you got a new agenda? Or are you well, heading off to a soccer match and going to be eating a sausage with chips? No, none of those things, Neil. It's Germany and it's about 9.20 in the morning, so okay. I'm really given a whole lot of evening, uh, but I'm thinking about going downstairs to have, I've already had a, a bowl of muesli and fruit, obviously, which oh, I have God, every day. So healthy. I know. <laughs> and then uh, I'm going to go downstairs and make myself a cup of healthy coffee and have a slice of toast and healthy marmalade on it. Well, that there sounds thrilling. It is. Off you go, enjoy. Highlights of my day, Neil. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, I hope you enjoy it regardless. And thank you so much for the episode. I've really enjoyed learning more about banking and finance. And for the listeners, we have an awful lot of episodes around a whole range of areas. And if you enjoyed this episode, please dip in to our back catalogue, to our archive, because there is an awful lot there that will help you on your journey. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Jeremy, for being such a good guest today. Thank you, Neil. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share the Find Your Best Future podcast.